Thank you so much, Richard, and uh, good morning, everyone. It's really lovely to be back here in Belfast uh, again. Uh, I, I bring you the, the greetings of uh, the church family at Central Baptist Church in Dundee. Um, your accent, I probably said this last year, but your accent is a very, very familiar one in our church in Dundee. I sometimes wonder if there are actually any students left in Northern Ireland because they all seem uh, to be in Dundee, but we absolutely love them and they bring such a, a richness uh, to us in the church family. I just love uh, coming here and your breaking of bread service. Um, I have been Baptist since uh, uh, I was wee, but there must be a bit of brethren in my genes somewhere. In the gene pool, there's got to be, because I just uh, so much appreciated that this morning and last year uh, when I came. We're here to listen uh, to the Word of God, and uh, we're going to do that now. So let's turn to Acts chapter 28. And this morning, uh, we come to the conclusion of this book. So Paul is on his way to, to Rome. Verse 11. After three months, Dr. Luke tells us, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and then uh, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. On the second day we put in, we came to Putioli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears." 
and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that what is of man would fall to the ground and what is of God would remain. Save us, dear Father, from just another Sunday. We're serious about pursuing you. Take away, Lord, all distractions that your precious words might be heard and applied to our lives, preacher and hearer alike. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, let me be upfront right at the beginning and ask you this question, what are we giving our lives to? I read about the story of Paul and I'm moved, moved by this man. But yet, Paul is not the whole story because Paul was moved. He was animated by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that had arrested him. What moved Paul was Jesus Christ. He is gripped by the person of Christ. And that's my prayer for us today, that we will be gripped by him afresh or perhaps even for the first time. It's too easy when studying Scripture to be blinded by the personalities we find there. And that danger lurks here. At the conclusion here of Acts, we honor Paul as a servant of Jesus Christ and for all that he has endured. But as much as we honor the servant, Paul, Paul became what he became by the ministry of Christ by his Spirit. And so to come away thinking that Paul is amazing is to miss the point, for it is Christ who made him what he was. Paul says that in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 3. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. This morning as you sit and listen to the words, cast your mind back if you're a believer to the moment when Christ took hold of you because when he took hold of you, he took hold of you for a purpose and that purpose was his glory. I press on, says Paul, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, he says, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so here, right at the end of the book of Acts, we find the apostle Paul still focused, still following, full of Jesus and ready to serve him. And if there is one thing that this passage speaks to me about, it is about finishing well and keeping the focus upon Christ because we can so easily be deflected. I heard the story of a woman in California. She went to her local ice cream parlor. And as she was standing there, she happened to look behind her. And lo and behold, There was Paul Newman 
Well, she was a big Paul Newman fan. Paul Newman, young people, was a film star of the last century. Well, she, she was a big Paul Newman fan, and her knees began to quiver, and she was shivering, and she was saying to herself, don't do anything crazy. Don't do anything crazy. So she just took a deep breath. She paid for her ice cream, turned, smiled, and said hello to Paul Newman, and walked out. But when she got back into her car, she realized that she didn't have her ice cream. So she had to go back. And of course, this, by this time, Paul Newman's being served. I'm told this story is true. This, by this time, he is being served. And so she walks up beside him, and he looks at her, and he says, did you forget something? And she said, yes, actually, I forgot my ice cream. And he said to her, you put it in your handbag. <laughs> how easily we can be deflected. Here is Paul, and he's passionate about Jesus and his gospel, and he's pressing on right to the end. And you know, as we look at this, recognize this. Recognize the significance of this part of Scripture, because world history is being made here. This is huge. The fact that we are here this morning in the Crescent Church in Belfast, Northern Ireland, is as a direct result of what happens here in Acts chapter 28. Because what had been promised under the old covenant is now happening under the new covenant. The beam that shines from Zion's hill is lightening every land. The king who reigns in Salem's towers shall all the world command. And we see his growing kingdom even here this morning. You are living, breathing evidences of the Gentile mission of the change in direction that was taken here that resulted in the gospel coming to these shores. It's wonderful. And yet at the same time, there is the solemnity of large-scale Jewish rejection. And so the sublime and the sad sit together in Acts 28. Here the gospel takes a turn, and the world would hear of the hope of Israel, the one to whom all those old covenant scriptures pointed, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verses 11 to 16 give us the intro, and the detail of Luke's writing adds to the authenticity of it. The ship, the gods of the seafarers, Castor and Pollux, then the route by Malta, Sicily, touching the toe of the boot of Italy at Regium, and then straight up to Rome, that straight road. Paul had written to the Romans, but he had never met them. What a thrill that must have been to meet them. Verse 14, and then the arrival in Rome at what Jesus had promised, chapter 23, 11, now comes to pass. So, to the watching world... Paul is simply put, up, put under house arrest here in Rome. That's what the watching world would think. But the backstory here is that he is here by appointment, not of Nero, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is at the center of God's plan, even although he's under house arrest, because God is sovereign. Friends, good friend, give me this hymn when I was going through a very, very difficult time in 2016. 
struggling and battling in the gospel, and he gave me a line from Faber's famous hymn. It says, Thrice blessed is he to whom is given the instinct that can tell that God is on the field when he is most invisible. And to the watching world, Paul was effectively imprisoned, his freedom limited, but he's there because God would have him there. And all through the book of Acts, Dr. Luke has been building towards this, building towards the the, the coming to Jerusalem and then on to Rome, where Paul will stand before the highest-ranked Gentile court of the day, the court of Nero. He may even have been heard by Nero, we don't know, but it was his court. And he will speak the word of the gospel there. And so here we find a moment in world history First of all, the rejection of the gospel by the majority of Paul's fellow Jewish people, and secondly, the turning of the apostle towards the Gentiles in the city that represents the world of his day. I I sometimes just wonder what it was like for someone like Paul, who knew the scriptures, the old covenant scriptures, like the back of his hand. I wonder what it must have been like when all the pieces began to fall into place And suddenly he sees what he never had seen before, and that is Jesus in all of the Scriptures. And he's so full of Jesus, he's so passionate about Jesus that it takes him into this courtroom. Just two things we're looking at this morning, God's people. Number one, Paul's focus. Paul's focus, which is Jesus. No one had to delve deeply to discover what defined Paul's life. It's the gospel of of Christ, the hope of Israel. And secondly, God's plan for the world. Paul applies the word of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, who saw this day coming, Jewish rejection, world evangelization, Jewish jealousy, leading to a Jewish inclusion. Romans 9 to 11. It's astonishing. Paul's focus is Jesus. God's plan is for the world, indeed the universe. I wonder what you thought as we read these last few verses of the book. Someone in our church back home always gives me a John John Grisham novel when I'm going on holiday to try to get me to force forced me to get me to read something else apart from theology books. I think she thinks I'm a bit of a sad sack. <laughs> and I enjoy John Grisham, and he's usually got pretty good endings. But if, if this was a John Grisham novel, I would be saying, has someone stolen the last page here? It's a bit of a strange ending to the book. Luke leaves it hanging. What happened to Paul? Why did he end the book in this way? Well, We've got to remember the purpose for which he wrote. He's writing for Theophilus to convince him of the truth and the veracity of the gospel. And his purpose in writing is satisfied that Theo and friends may come to see the relevance of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it reminds us that this book is not about Peter or about Paul. It is about Jesus, whose spirit-propelled work continues today. It's now Acts 29 time. And I pray that we will see the relevance and reality of Jesus today, and that we, like Paul, will be gripped by Jesus. Paul preaches. Paul begins to preach in Rome. 
And as he stands or perhaps sits as rabbis did, he is a living, breathing demonstration of the power of God to fulfill his purpose. Just think for a moment about what he faced. He's faced the power of the elements, shipwreck. Now, remember, in Hebrew thought, the sea was the place of chaos and fear and disaster. He had faced up to his fears. But the Lord had brought him through the chaos of the storm, beatings and the rest of it. Secondly, he had faced the power of human courts. He had stood before the Sanhedrin, Felix, Festus, Agrippa, and now to the court of Nero. Imagine the stress of that. It is epic. As we said at the beginning, we may think, well, what a man, but the backstory here makes us say, what a God. Paul is first and last a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was his life and his living, his way and his end. Oh, how beautiful it was this morning to sing those hymns at the breaking of bread and to be reminded, to be reminded of what makes us what we are in Christ. Paul faced these hardships, but he faced them with joy. And do you think for a moment he regrets it now? See, the world would tell us that all we have to live for is this world. But the Bible tells us something else, that there is an eternity to come. Facing trials this morning, perhaps, are you? Listen to the words of Paul again. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you, dear Philippian believers, that I remain in the body. So Paul arrives in Rome. He's immediately put under house arrest. And this is what happens. <laughs> what a man he is. He starts speaking to the, go the gospel to the guards. And of course, these poor blokes can't get, get away. They're chained to him, probably. And we think that they started to get converted. He's in and under house arrest. So what does he do? Well, this is what he does. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Mary, Queen of Scots, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I do the assembled armies of Europe. Here we see a man yielded to Jesus Christ and committed to his gospel, doing what he does. Paul's power was that of Knox. Men yielded to Christ whose spirit animated their lives and whose legacy remains. To me, anyway, the challenge of lives like this, for me, and I'm sure for you, is to put aside my small ambitions and to live for Jesus better. Paul, under house arrest, writes these things. Remember the context in which he's writing these things. I'm just going to read them to you. Philippians 1, therefore God exalted him, that is Christ, to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
He writes that under house arrest. The exalted nature of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 22. Paul writes, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He writes that under house arrest. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. He writes this under house arrest. It is a high Christology that holds Paul even in these circumstances. Do you have a big God theology? Do you understand who He is as the sovereign God? Do you understand who Jesus is as Lord of all? Sovereign. Bringing all things into conformity with His will. Now, either Paul is nuts or he knows something that those around didn't. But now we are in a position to see that the Jewish authorities that persecuted him and the Roman Empire that held him are gone. They're gone. As will every human empire. But the kingdom still grows. The kingdom still grows and spans the globe. Which team are we backing? The passing, temporary, impressive, for a time, fads of our day, or the eternal glory of what Christ is bringing to pass? This is the point I'm making here. That in these circumstances, Paul held this high Christology that held him in trying circumstances, and so must we. So must we. I can imagine Paul with his guard there, maybe looking out of the window and seeing the the imperial Roman eagle and then preaching an unending king and kingdom. Paul's focus was the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly and lastly, God's plan was for the world, and we might say the universe. Look at verse 25 and following. What a strange set of verses, aren't they? Paul has preached about Christ, and we're told, verse 24, some were convinced by what he said. They became Jews for Jesus. But others would not believe 
They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. And they can hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, remember the context of this is Isaiah, as he's warning Israel about the incursions of the Assyrians and eventually Babylon. And he's saying to the Jews of his day, Isaiah's saying to the Jews of his day, you're not listening to God's words. And he uses these words as a sign of judgment. It's a sign of judgment. When someone is close to the gospel, when someone cannot and will not see Christ, it's a sign of God's judgment. Surely we see that in our culture today. It's illustrated for us in the story of Joseph, that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. At the end of the day, we all get what we want. And if we don't want Jesus, we won't get him. This is what Paul is citing here. Hardness is a sign of judgment. And it's a reminder to us that only God can break the hard heart. Some people would ask, is this the loving God that we read of in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some people seem to believe that God's at our beckoning call. He is God. And if you read further down in John's gospel, you'll find that, where John says the wind blows wherever it pleases. In other words, God is sovereign. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God's choosing never negates human responsibility. In the end, we all get what we want. And if we reject Christ now, He will reject us at the judgment. These words drawn from Isaiah and his pre-exile warnings to Judah must be understood from the standpoint of judgment. Their spiritual blindedness and deafness are signs of judgment. And that's what we find in our culture. That's what I find in Dundee, and I'm sure you find it in Belfast too. So what must we do? We must plead with, we must implore the Lord by the power of His Spirit to break into lives. Do you you really pray for your neighbors? Do you? Do you pray for your workmates or your fellow students? Do you? Do, Do you listen for the opportunities to say something for Jesus? You know, I wasn't going to say this, but I'll tell you this story. There was a young woman who came to our church, and she was not just an atheist. She described herself as an anti-theist. 
not just disbelieving in God, but actively hating God, the God she didn't believe existed. And one day in her office, someone who's a member of the church in Central, she pushed a book across Catherine's desk and said, would it kill you to believe that there is a God? And so she picked up this book and she started to come along. And she sat at the back of the church and she wouldn't even speak to me after her service. She was so wound up. Later on, she told me how much she hated me for what was being preached. And then one Sunday, sitting at the front, and I looked up, and there she was. Her first words to me were these, I can't believe I'm beginning to believe. I've seldom seen a life so transformed. I would have described her as one of the hardest nuts I've ever met with regard to the gospel so again God transformed her life. And so even though there's rejection here, there is and it is no roadblock to God's plan. Jewish rejection of Messiah means a change in direction for the gospel and one that was foretold by the prophets. Verse 28, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen, says Paul. As I said at the beginning this morning, we've got living, breathing examples of that and it's you, God's people. Because of the turn that was taken here. You know, time is cracking on. Some of us need to get serious about this. Sometimes you don't realize how quickly time is passing. I went to our local bank and I, I said to the teller, you know, I'd, I'd like to move some money from my son's account. And she said to me, sir, you can't do that. So why not? She said, well, you're not allowed to move money from someone else's account. And I said, but he's 15. And her face went red. Obviously, looking at me, she thought, his son's got to be at least 30. (laughs) Time is cracking on. We think that after two years, Paul was released and went on mission again. Then he was rearrested, then executed. This story is no sugar-coated story. It is raw. It is real. It's a reminder that God's servants are, are, we're like struck matches. We flare for a moment, then we're gone. But what we're part of will last forever. Paul's focus was the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan was for the world. So be encouraged. Don't be deflected. Keep your focus upon Christ and moving forward in God's plan. I want to encourage you. What we are part of as Christians is the greatest movement that this world has or will ever see. The great and coming kingdom of God. A kingdom that will never end. 
And so if you're a Christian this morning, take and apply these words. These words of Paul from Philippians 3, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Maybe there are things in your life and you think, well, I couldn't serve Jesus so effectively because of this, that, and the other thing. Leave those things behind. They're lost in the sea of God's forgiving forgetfulness. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's not long before we'll see Jesus face to face. And if you're here in the Crescent this morning and you're not a Christian, do not be fooled into thinking that you are in control. Do not be fooled into thinking that you can choose your moment. That's not the way it works. Jesus drew near in Rome that day through Paul and his message. And by his word, he draws near today. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus now because you may never have another opportunity Rest in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. He lived so that his righteousness could be put to your account and a holy God's judgment would not hang over you. He died on the cross bearing the sin of all who would come to him so that our forgiveness might be total and complete even when sometimes we can't forgive ourselves for stuff. He rose the affirmation of his person and work that we might not fear death. He reigns. We see that even today in the global church and its growth. And one day he'll be, he will return. And on that day, the only thing that will matter is our relationship or otherwise with him. So what are we giving our lives to? There is so much that moves me about this man, Paul. But what moved Paul was Christ. Are we just going to pass another Sunday or truly pursue him? Paul was gripped by the person of Christ. I pray that today we will be too.